I invite you this time to turn in your two Bibles to page 1898. 1898, where we find our scripture reading tonight. 1 John chapter 1, the first few verses. 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'd also like to read for you Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith is found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 74, if you'd like to follow along. Article 10, entitled, Jesus Christ is True and Eternal God. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made, nor created, for then he would be a creature, but co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the very image of his substance and the effulgence of his glory, equal unto him in all things, He is the Son of God, not only from the time that He assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. Moses says that God created the world, and St. John says that all things were made by that word which he calls God. The Apostle says that God made the world by His Son, likewise that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, it must needs follow that He who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ, did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says, His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And the apostle, he hath neither beginning of days nor end of life. He therefore is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. That's the teaching of our confession of faith. Um, As I considered what uh, would be uh, helpful... Thing to study next in our evening services. Um, I thought that the uh, I would just keep up the theme of doing these general epistles, the first and second Peter. We're going to do First John now, uh, so we're going to look at First John, a study of First John, and First John is is very much applicable to our day and age because one of the main things that John was facing uh, in the midst of these uh, churches in Asia Minor was a, a proto Gnostic heresy. Uh, proto-Gnostic heresy about the nature of Christ. 
and uh, who he was. If you uh, go and find a book by John Stott called The Radical Disciples, Some Neglected Aspects of Our Calling, you'll find this quotation there. He'll say, We must continue to affirm the uniqueness and finality of Jesus Christ. For he is unique in his incarnation, the one and only God-man, unique in his atonement, only he has died for the sins of the world, and unique in his resurrection, only he has conquered death. And since in no other person but Jesus of Nazareth did God first become human in his birth, then bear our sins in his death, and then triumph over death in his resurrection, he is uniquely competent to save sinners. Nobody else possesses his qualifications. So we may talk about Alexander the Great, Charles the Great, Napoleon the Great, but not Jesus the Great. He is not the Great. He is the only. There is nobody like him. He has no rival and no successor. This is the very thing that John writes his letter about. John writes his letter to the churches in Asia Minor because they were beginning to be deceived about who Jesus was. And John understood that to be the most essential, the most foundational thing about being saved, being a Christian, being forgiven of your sins, and being a recipient of justification is you have to have the right Jesus. The only Jesus. Nobody like him. No rival. No successor. He is uniquely positioned. Uniquely qualified to be our Savior. So our theme then, this Hold on, let me check the time. Not quite evening yet. Got six minutes. This afternoon is faith in Christ brings union with Christ. Union with Christ brings fellowship with God. Faith in Christ brings union with Christ. Union with Christ brings fellowship with God. So uh, that's basically how these two points uh, break down. The first one is about the Word, capital W, and the Word. Paul, uh, Jane, or John, uh, Paul, James, John, Peter, one, one of these. Uh, John does this play on words, the same thing he does in John chapter 1, about the Logos, the Word, right? Um, and he does this because he wants to communicate to the congregations that he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, about the nature of Christ, Okay. So the word and the word, that's our first point. And then uh, the second point is fellowship with the triune God. 
What does that entail? What does that mean? What does that communicate to us? So let's look at these, uh, this first point here. The word and the word. This is covering verses 1 and 2. John begins his letter with these words. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. These are very important words that John uses. He uses the same phraseology in the beginning of his gospel. When he says at the beginning of John, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning, right? For the Jewish reader, this would be something that would cue them into what John specifically is talking about. John is talking about that which was from the beginning, tells you about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. When it says, in the beginning, God. So, John chapter 1 in his gospel, he says, in the beginning, right? In 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning. Genesis says, in the beginning. So what is John talking about here when he references from the beginning and uses the past tense? That which was from the beginning. Well, what he's talking about here is the eternality of Christ. When, when John says beginning, you are beginning to understand the limitation of human language. Because when John says beginning, what he, means to, what he means to say is that before there was a beginning, before there was a place where there was time and space, the word was. The word existed prior to existence. You see what I'm saying? John, right off the bat, wants to communicate to his writers that Jesus Christ, the one who came in the flesh, the one that, that walked this earth, he did not have a start in the first century. He, as Micah says, and the quotation from the Belgian Confession, his going forth are from of old, from everlasting. And as the book of Hebrews says, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. In reference to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ prior to his incarnation is the eternal Son of God who has always existed. He is eternal. He does not have a beginning point. He does not have an end point. Why is this important? Why does John start his letter like this? Because the Gnostic heresy, which by the way, this is a term for knowledge in the Greek the Gnostic heresy is that Jesus was a created being. That Jesus was not eternal. And so these proto-Gnostic teachers are going in amongst the church. They're in the churches. And when they gather in the houses for Bible studies and they're reading the Bible and they're talking about how Jesus is the Son of God who's existed before all time, they say, mm, I don't know about that. 
And they say, I received a special revelation from God, a special secret gnosis, knowledge. And what I was told was that Jesus is a created being just like us. Now, can I ask you a question? Have you ever run into somebody today from a heretical background that says things like this? I don't know, maybe like Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe like Mormons, maybe like even some word of faith, health, wealth people who say that Jesus is just a glorified man, right? And so the Gnosticism that John was facing in his day, the the Gnosticism that he was arguing against, that he was trying to defend these churches against, is alive and well today. And John, right off the bat, is talking about the eternality of Christ. He's saying, that which was from before the beginning, that which existed prior to a time and space, And the temporal realm that we live in right now was God. The Son of God. Jesus. That's why Article 10 says, We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, almost quoting from the Nicene Creed, begotten from eternity, not made, nor created. For then he would be a creature. But co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, right? So that's his eternality. But listen to the amazing transition that John makes here. To go from his eternality to this incarnation. John says, that which was from the beginning, meaning the Son of God who existed before time, who is eternal, And then John says, which we, the apostles, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. If you don't grasp the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation in these short phrases, this very first verse in John's letter, then you don't understand how that which is transcendent can become imminent. That which is eternal can become temporal. The fact that God can have a birthday and the fact that God took on flesh Not just so he could show us he could do it. But so that he could die for worms like us. His incarnation, John says, Jesus was before time even started, but I also know him. (laughs) He's my friend. I live with him. I walked with him. John is probably writing these letters at the end of his Towards the end of his life, um, he's, he's the last living disciple, the apostle, last living apostle. And he's communicating these important truths 
to these churches throughout Asia Minor who are being influenced by these Gnostic teachers. John says, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, and he took on flesh. We have looked at him with our own eyes. We have looked at him, and our hands have touched him. We've seen him, we've looked at him, we've, we've seen, we've looked, we've touched our God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says in the beginning of his gospel, the shocking point in the prologue to John is this. And that word which was with God, and that word which is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. This word, Christ incarnate, John says, we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. What does John mean by that? He means that Jesus, Jesus is the life giver. That no one has true life unless it is given to them by Jesus. That Christ came that we might have life abundant. That Christ came that we might have life everlasting. So Jesus is the very essence of life. He is the life giver. You see that Christ is both God and man. That Christ is both eternal and has taken on flesh. It's not incidental to the Christian faith. It is fundamental. It's not incidental. It's fundamental. In fact, we have the great privilege of having the three forms of unity, right? We don't just have one confession of faith. We have the Heidelberg Catechism. We have the Belgic Confession of Faith. And we have the Canons of Dort. The eternality and incarnation of Jesus Christ is a doctrine that you will find in the Heidelberg Catechism, in the Belgic Confession of Faith, and in the Canons of Dort. It is that essential to the doctrine of the church, to the faith of believers. In fact, the key component of its essentialness is laid out perfectly for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. If it is not God, how can he bear the punishment? If, it is not, if he is not man, how can he rightly be punished for something that he did not do? God, man. Jesus must be both God and man. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us if he is going to be our Savior. Christ is the Lord and giver of true life, life abundance. So the content of the gospel message must communicate the truth of who he is. If your gospel message misses the point that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you do not have a gospel message. You do not have a word of life. You have nothing. Why should we evangelize Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, People who are lost uh, in, the, in the understanding that, that Jesus is a man just like us. And that he's not also God. Because without this essential doctrine, they are lost. And without hope. And without God in this world. They do not have a savior. John 20, verse 31, he communicates the reason why he wrote his gospel. I don't know if any of you know that 
passage, but it relates to the reason why John would call this the word of life. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in 1 John 5.13, he'll say essentially the same thing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Before we can go anywhere else, we must first lay this foundation. The only reason Christ can be our Savior is because he is both God and man. And if you believe in a Jesus that is only God, or if you believe in a Jesus that is only man, you do not believe in Jesus at all. This is what John says right at the beginning of his letter because he wants to communicate to his, these churches, these Gnostic heretics are coming into your church they're disturbing the very core, essential nature of our salvation. Because if we have the wrong Christ, we do not have salvation at all. What about the second point that he makes? It's one that ties in with his statement about the necessity of understanding who Christ is. And what salvation brings. See, many people um, in our day and age will tell you that the reason why they want to be a Christian or the reason why you should be, a lot of gospel presentations to this. The reason why you should be, uh, want to be saved is to escape punishment and to receive um, eternal bliss. Right? Escape punishment. And receive eternal bliss. That's why you should believe in Jesus. Right? But actually, there is a greater purpose in salvation than the escaping of punishment and the receiving of eternal bliss. And it has to do with how we understand what this eternal bliss is. That what we were created for, our purpose, our intention as human beings has always been to have perfect, unfettered, pure, joyful, fellowship with our God who created us. Westminster Confession of Faith, Westminster Shorter Catechism will tell us this. What is the purpose of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And some would even say to glorify God is to enjoy Him forever. That is why we were made. That's what we lost in the garden. That's what the eternal punishment keeps us from. 
And the eternal bliss that we are going to experience in the new heavens and the new earth is that it is communion and fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it makes sense that John, in, in relaying this truth about Jesus Christ, his work is related to his nature as a God and as man. He'll say this. This life appeared. We have seen it, testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. That is the church, right? And our fellowship in the church is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we experience that fellowship by faith in Christ, bringing union with Christ. Union with Christ brings fellowship with God, and this is all done in the power and operation of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say triune God. The triune God. We have fellowship with the triune God. The unity we have in Christ, the koinonia, that's the word used here, uh, fellowship, is different from friendship. We can have friendship with people who are not believers. We can have friendship with people who we have lots of differences with. They can be Muslims and we can have good friendships with them. But the fellowship that we have with other brothers and sisters in Christ is deeper because it's eternal. It's eternal. It's deeper. It's more meaningful. This message that John and the apostles communicate, it's not a secret message. It's not been hidden away. It's not a secret knowledge, John is saying. Like those Gnostics in your midst who are saying, I've got a secret knowledge. I've got a secret revelation from God. John says, this life appeared. We've seen it. we testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We've made this abundantly clear. We've proclaimed it to you. We've, we've shouted it from the rooftops. This is not a secret new knowledge. When anybody comes up to you and says, I've got a new revelation from God. That's a red flag. And so John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that in the belief of those truths... That Jesus is both God and man. And that makes our salvation possible. That makes our salvation truly accomplished. That you may have fellowship with the church. And by having fellowship with the church, you may have fellowship with the triune God. This message has been proclaimed through the apostles. It has been recorded in the scripture... And it has been proclaimed, apparently I don't know how to spell proclaimed, to all. Nothing must be added, nothing must be taken away. What you have heard from John and the apostles is the truth of what we have seen and heard and if you believe in this gospel, then you have fellowship with all other believers. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are united in one faith, one baptism, one spirit. We have koinonia fellowship. And because we have fellowship with Christ, because we have union with Christ, right, we have fellowship with each other. And because we have fellowship with Christ, we have fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith in Christ brings union with Christ. Union with Christ brings fellowship with God. 
this fellowship, what we were created for, unhindered fellowship with our God. This is what John lives for. He says it himself. We write this to make our joy complete. Some manuscripts say your joy complete. Well, John says that we have fellowship with one another. We are one. So it doesn't matter if it's our or your. Your joy is my joy. Our joy is your joy. That's what, it doesn't matter. Because what John is saying is, this is why he writes. Because for others to know who the true Christ is, the Son of God who existed before eternity and who was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, for others to know who Christ really is is what makes his joy complete. He'll say in 2 John, my dear children, what a comfort it is to know that you are walking with the Lord. But you continue in your Christian life that you have not lost your faith or the credibility of your, your profession. Because for others to know Christ is what makes his joy complete. Confess the true Christ. Have true life in his name. And do not be deceived by those who would seek to point you in another direction, to point you to another Christ who is no true Christ at all. Our Belgian Confession says, Christ, he therefore is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. Remember, there are many greats in this world. Alexander the Great, Charles the Great, Napoleon the Great, but Jesus is not the great. He is the only And if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything else wrong too. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you that you have enlightened us by your word, that we have come to know who your son Jesus is, that we might have life in his name, by faith in him. We praise you, Lord, that by faith in Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with one another. And we have fellowship with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would protect us against all heresies that would seek to minimize the truth of who Christ is and lead us astray from salvation that can only be found in his name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.